Here's a preliminary question for today's sermon. Uh, where, do you, where do you eat in life? All right, so what I mean by that is the metaphorical eat, not necessarily where you eat. Uh, yep, eat at seed. Yes, dear. Thank you. Uh, how many of you ate at Seed Restaurant in 2015? Oh, well. You need to start your 2016 there. Now, where do you eat? Where do you feed? Where do you, where do you get resourced in life? Take a moment and think about that. Where do you get, where do you get resourced in life? Where, where's, your, where's, your, where's your pot, you know? Your, 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 your part, pot of goodness and, 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 and strength and nourishment and love and goodness. Uh, and if you're like me, you have, you know, a few different pots in life. But just figure that out for a minute. Where, where do you eat? Where do you eat? I'll give you 10 seconds of reflection. We'll be meditative today. Go. All right. Tell me, where do you eat? Where do you get resources? At the Father's table. At the Father's table. Excellent. Spiritual answer. We can count on James for good, strong spiritual answers. All right, where else? You eat it on Facebook. She actually does. Uh, Elaine does because she, she ministers that way and Skypes into Pakistan and does miracle services remotely. So I, that's, that's actually very true uh, in her case. Many of us get distracted by Facebook, but uh, Elaine actually ministers and gets ministry there. That, that's very true. Who, where else? Where do you eat? I'm sorry? The Bible. Yeah, you eat, eat uh, scripture, of course. Yeah, where else? Solitude. You eat in solitude. Okay. Just shout it out. Home? At home. Family. Okay, great. We are on that one. Seed what? You eat at the Gibbons' house. Their family helps take care of your family, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I know some of that. We're all going to eat at the Gibbons' house this year. Yeah. Where else? You eat, you eat, you eat when you exercise. What? Eat in community. Does anybody eat at Blue Water Mission? Because I'm just checking. You know, if you get no nourishment here, several doors. Um, all right, just, just hold that uh, in, in your mind uh, as we, can, uh, we continue. Uh, the second thing I want to do today is I want to do just some observations on, on uh, the so-called parable of the talents or parable of the bags of gold, depending on what translation you read. Now, it's printed in its fullness in the back of your program from Matthew chapter 25, but I figure it's a fairly familiar parable to a lot of us, so I just want to kind of blow through it and, and then just kind of sketch it and then make some observations about it. Jesus is talking here about the kingdom of heaven uh, as he presents it in the Gospel of Matthew. And he gives a series of parables, a, seri a series of these metaphorical stories about what the kingdom of heaven is like, what the kingdom of heaven on earth is like, to be specific. He says the kingdom of heaven is like such and such. The kingdom of heaven is like 
such and such. And then he begins this by saying, the kingdom of heaven is, is like this. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted wealth to them, entrusted resources to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. So the, the master has resourced each person according to what they can handle. Uh, then he went on the journey, and the man who received five bags of gold went in once and, and put his money to work and gained five bags more. And so also the one with two bags put his money to work and gained two more. And the man who had one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. He had some resources, but he just stuck them in the ground. He didn't really use them. He didn't put them to work is the phrase. And after a while, uh, the master comes back and he checks in uh, with, with his boys. And the one who had five bags said, look, master, uh, I put your resources to work and I gained five more. And the master is very excited about it. Good job. You're going to get even more now. And then the one who had two bags of gold said, hey, master, I took your resources. I put them to work. I doubled the money. And the master is very excited about that guy and says, Good job. You're going to get even more resources. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man. You're a hard master. Um, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I was afraid of you. I was afraid of what this whole thing meant. Uh, and so I hid your gold in the ground. And see, here's what belongs to you. And the master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I do not sow and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I could receive it back with some interest. So uh, take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's a fairly severe parable. It has to do with how we put to work the resources that God uh, gives us. Again, I picked this parable to just kind of blow through this morning at the beginning of the sermon because I it's probably a, a fairly uh, familiar parable for a, a lot of you. It's a rich parable. Uh, it says a lot about a lot of things. It says a lot about our attitude toward God. Is he a good master who knows what he's doing, or is he a harsh master who's just trying to get the most out of us? Right? Is he gracious, or is he judgmental? measure us carefully. And if you think he's a gracious God, you're willing to put your money to work, to put your resources to work, to live wildly, you know, to make radical investments with 100% returns. But if you think God is hard, you will be conservative and afraid and paralyzed in life. That's one thing uh, it, it says. Uh, I think implicitly the parable says a lot about failure because failure is never mentioned in the parable. These people take great risks, but they, they don't lose the money. They don't lose the resources that they invest. So it may mean that when God gives you resources, uh, invest them. You, you never have to worry about losing them. They'll always be there for you, for you. Or it may mean that just don't think about failure. 
It's so unimportant that Jesus doesn't even feel like he needs to mention it in the parable. You know, if you fail, fail fast and move on (laughs) because he's a gracious God and not a harsh one. But I think it also says something uh, about uh, the kingdom of heaven in this sense. The kingdom of heaven on earth is a place of personal responsibility. You know, the, uh, the master doesn't get mad at the lazy servant because the lazy ser- servant fails to turn a profit. The master gets mad because the lazy servant didn't do anything. That's a punchline of, of the parable. Sometimes we construct what I call life arguments, arguments in our head, mindsets that help us avoid taking responsibility for things. Right? We, we construct these systems of lies and confusions in our head uh, that, that are really designed to take the pressure off of us so that we don't have to be personally responsible for our own lives, for the resources that we've been given. But Jesus makes it clear, this is no way to live. This is no way to live. And in the end, living like that will lead to destruction. So today we're continuing our sermon series on what I have called rhythms for grown-ups. Rhythms and routines that help us grow up or rhythms and routines that characterize a mature life. Uh, we are exploring what it means to be a grown-up person and particularly to be a grown-up person in, in the kingdom of God. And today we're going to explore this concept of being responsible for yourself because Here's a big dividing line of of maturity. When you are young, others take care of you. That's a huge part of what it means to be young. But when you get older, when you mature, you you take care of yourself, don't you? When you get really mature, you can even take care of others. Part of maturity is being responsible for taking care of yourself, being responsible for your own life. Um, at least largely, as mature people, uh, we're all supposed to take care of our, ourselves. Um, we all need help in life. We all need help taking care of ourselves. But it's hard for others to help you unless you're willing to take responsibility for your own life. That, too, is a, uh, is a kingdom principle. And what I want to do is, is, is read another uh, passage from the Gospels from John 5. It's actually not in your program. Uh, I just thought, I don't know, maybe you could take it upon yourself to, I don't know, read it on your smartphone Bible or in the old school hard copy Bible. If you're really righteous, you carry one of these around. Anyone? There you go. We got two or three old school righteous people. I just want to read a story also familiar to a lot of you probably from John chapter 5. It's one of the healing stories from the Gospel of John, healing a paralyzed guy at a pool. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, a pond, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. So it's a a blinged out pond. It's a special place. They've decorated it. They've given it some architecture. It has some history to it. And, And part of the history is that it was a healing pond. And when the angel would visit it, the waters became healing. And if you got into the water at the right time, you would be healed of whatever your infirmity is. That was the folklore around this pond, Bethesda. 
Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, because it was reputed to be healing. One who was there had been invalid for 38 years. That is a long time. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Which is a very rude thing to ask a guy who's been lying paralyzed near a pond for 38 years, right? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone always goes down ahead of me, blocks my way. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked in response to Jesus' command. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jews, the religious Jews, said to the man, who, has, uh, who had been healed? It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. That would technically be work. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Who is this fellow who told you to do work on the Lord's day? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So this was kind of like a commando healing. Jesus came in, he healed hard, he got out before anybody knew who he was. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, uh, literally in Greek, stop, stop doing harm. Or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Another interesting and provocative story, I think, about work and responsibility. It's a weird question that Jesus asked the guy who is lying there in a pile of paralysis, ostensibly because the water had healing properties. And Jesus showed up and says, do you want to be well or not? Just a very weird question, very provocative, almost rude, but Jesus had observed something in this man, had observed something in his manner that warranted the question, evidently. Jesus was watching him, and, and I don't know exactly what was going through Jesus' head, but it was something like, oh, that guy's just given up. That, that guy has, that, that guy is in total victim mode at this point. And when Jesus asked the question, the man's response bears it out. You know, the guy should have said, do I want to be healed? Yes. But instead, he doesn't answer yes or no. He just says, well, people aren't helping me as they should. You know, they're not being responsible for me, is what the man said. He is responsibility shifting, in other words. But Jesus then as Jesus often does, empowers the guy. Empowers the guy by giving him a command, an opportunity to obey. Instead of playing into all of his responsibility, shifting mind games, Jesus just says, get up and clean your bed while you're at it. Uh, Which is a very parental thing to say. Opportunities for obedience like that often help people learn personal responsibility. Every parent has done this, right? One of the first things you do to empower your kid is that you tell him or her to make their bed, you know, to to do what they need to do to take care of themselves. And Jesus does this with such authority that, boom, it empowers the guy miraculously. He actually gets cured when he responds in obedience uh, to Jesus. And, And 
after the dust settles, Jesus coaches the guy to take responsibility for his life. Generally, he comes to him and says, hey, stop sinning, stop doing harm, or things will get even worse for you in the future. Now, now you have to grow up, in other words. Now that, now that you've seen the power, time for you to take life by the reins, son. Time for you to get, to get with it. Uh, he doesn't blame the guy. He doesn't say, you were sick because you're a screw-up. But he develops the guy. He says, now that you're empowered, keep it up. Because you know where not being responsible for blame shifting. You know how that gets you stuck. You know what that leads to, don't you? Don't live like that anymore. Come on. You have a life. Get going. Get out there. The moral of the story is, in life, do you want to be an invalid or do you want to be a grown-up? And if you want to be a grown-up, you usually find a path to healing, don't you? Jesus comes along and gives you what you need. Anyway, when you're mature enough, you take care of, of yourself. It doesn't mean that you don't often rely on the help of others, but it does mean that you are responsible for you, and it also means that in life, you work hard. You put it to work. Whatever God gives you, you put to work. You invest. Now, why would we not be responsible for ourselves in our life? Why would we play these responsibility-shifting games in, in, in life? Uh, why do we play mind games? And you know, there are a thousand different reasons why we might get stuck in immaturity and, and refuse to take responsibility for ourselves. Maybe it's because you think someone owes it to you to take responsibility for you. Uh, this happens a lot to human beings. Somewhere in, in our history, there was someone when we were young who should have taken responsibility for us and cared for us, but didn't. And as a result of that, we live the rest of our lives being angry or unforgiving or in some other way hung up on the fact that people who should care for us don't. And so we, we go through life trying to force people to take care for us, trying to force people to take responsibility for us as a way of redeeming our past hurt. Maybe you have experienced something like this, or maybe you know some people who are just stuck, right, angry, uh, grasping onto a powerless or victim mentality because they just can't let go of how somebody let them down uh, in, their, in their past. This might be the case if you consistently get mad at people for mistreating you, even if they're not core people in your life. But people are always mistreating you. Always. Well, yeah, people mistreat people all the time. But if it really destroys you when it happens, if it sends you into uh, fits of, of anger, then maybe you have an issue there, you know? Maybe you're projecting your past into your present. But regardless, if you don't take responsibility for your own life, then number one, you won't grow. You won't grow. You will get stuck. I probably don't need to explain that out. It probably makes sense. No one's going to take responsibility for you in the manner that you can take responsibility for you. So, don't get stuck. 
If you don't take responsibility for your own life, then you'll end up being a burden to other people, and not in a healthy way either. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with relying on other people from time to time. There's nothing wrong with relying on other people significantly in, in life. In fact, if you don't rely on people, at least from time to time, then you won't be all that you can be in life because teamwork is an empowering principle. So if you never accept help from anyone, if you don't ever let people be responsible for you, a little bit at least, then you're going to be a stunted and small person. Um, but you can't constantly use others to do things that you need to do yourself. So. That's what I mean by being a burden for other people. You'll constantly be forcing other people to take care, of, take care of you. You'll see that. If you can't take responsibility for your own life, then you're not going to be able to take responsibility for other people well. You're not going to be able to help other people well. You might try to care for others, even if you can't take care of yourself. Uh, sometimes what we do is we avoid being responsible for ourselves by becoming hyper-responsible for other people. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. Everybody um, has seen that. Um, uh, we all sorts of jokes about that in life, uh, but that won't work out very well. Um, if you can't take responsibility for yourself, then you won't be able to, to take care of yourself, by which I mean you'll consistently be breaking down in some fashion because there'll be things that you're not really taking responsibilities for, for, things that you need to take responsibility for. There'll be great weaknesses in your life. There'll be potholes, and you'll constantly be falling into them because you refuse to be an adult about things. Uh, and you won't handle your breakdowns well. Look, we're all a burden on someone. That's fine. Like I say, uh, we're not all that we can be unless we rely on others to some extent. So the question of the morning is, are we relying on people in a way that makes us less than we should be? Or are we taking responsibility for our lives in a way that leads to growth, that leads to power, and leads to empowering others? It's a great question for the start of the new year. There was an issue about this in the early church. The thing is that church is a place that attracts people who don't take care of themselves very well. Why? Because church is a very caring place. Right? Churches tend to be very nurturing, uh, and this is largely by design. Any church organization that is healthy will attract a lot of people who aren't, and that's wonderful. That's kind of why we're here. Um, so if you've shown up this morning and you don't feel very healthy, welcome home. Uh, we all started out like that, TJ, when he showed up at the prophecy service in 2010. I don't even want to get into what a mess this kid was, right? But he has grown. He has grown. And now he's dang near tolerable. So, you know, which is fantastic. Uh, that's totally appropriate. Uh, but when you, you know, you show up, the way that you grow, the way that you get healed is by learning to take responsibility with the resources that God gives you. It's the parable of the talents, uh, that's actually a healing and, and growthful process. So in the early church, this was true as well. You started an organization of love and care, and then a lot of unhealthy people showed up, 
And, uh, and there's a way in which church can, can sometimes make you feel that you don't have to take care of yourself because you're surrounded by all these loving, caring people. They can just do it for you. It's great. And so Paul, you know, from time to time in his epistles, his letter to all the early, his letters to all of the early churches, you know, would say something about this. Here are a couple of my favorites from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Paul never gave rules, right? Paul was the apostle of grace. Paul was the guy that explained how rules could, could flex. But when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat, which is a substantial rule, right? If you show up to church and you're hungry, you will get fed. If you, up to, if you show up to church and you refuse to work, you will not get fed. Fair truism. And from Acts chapter 20, uh, this is about the history of how the early church came together. Uh, again, uh, Paul is, is, is speaking here in chapter 20. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. He was an itinerant minister. He traveled around with no visible means of support. But when he would show up in a town, if he could, he would set up shop. He was a tent maker by trade, a carpenter, if you will. He made things. Uh, I didn't covet anyone's silver or, or gold or clothing. I didn't minister in order to take money from you. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So ultimately, as Paul exemplified in his own ministry, you work. He was a hard worker. He would work his day job, and then he would minister all night long. And the reason he did that, he made clear, was not because he was afraid that God wouldn't take care of him or that people wouldn't be generous with him. He did it to make clear the virtue of hard work and how we have to work hard enough not only to provide for ourselves and those close to us, but to provide for the weak, the people who truly can't take care of themselves yet. Paul said stuff like this uh, all of the time. Here are some examples of what happens in situations in which uh, you should take responsibility, uh, but don't. Let's, let's take the situation of, of healing. Uh, if you are in need of some healing in life, let's say that you're physically sick, or let's say that you've experienced some sort of life trauma that have, has left you damaged or hollowed out, or let's just say that uh, your life has been so hard and rugged so far that you da- haven't really gotten the skills and the resources that you need yet. Right? That happens a lot. Well, um, You carry a lot of hurts, some of which are not caused by you, often caused by others in your life. But the solution often hinges on you nonetheless. Even if you're not at fault, the solution lies, uh, well, hinges on you. It will not entirely be of your doing, right? People will help you, but you have to do your part. If you're immature and you need healing, You will continue to complain about the hurt and those who caused it, or you will emphasize constantly how you've been victimized unfairly in life, and as a result, you won't get well. You will be the invalid at the pool. You will be focused on why it won't work instead of being focused on what the Lord is bringing you. 
If you're mature and you need healing, then you will initiate and maintain some kind of process of healing. If Jesus passes by, you'll say, hey, I need some healing. If you need some healing and I say the prayer ministers are over on the Makai wall, you will get your butt out of the blue chair and you will go see them. And they will invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to help you out. Might not take care of 100% of your problem right then and there, but doggone it, it will start a process of healing. Uh, In that process of healing, in your process of healing, you will take input. You will take necessary steps. And you will establish healthy, here's the word, routines. You will become a self-feeder. We've talked about some of those routines already. Uh, in this uh, in this sermon series, so go listen to the old sermons if you're not up to date. Uh, sin. If there is sin in your life and you are an immature person, your attitude will be, "Hey, I have no choice but to sin." Right? This is how I cope. This is necessary for me, and anyone in my position would do this. Uh, you will uh, have no choice but to mistreat others. They deserve it. They're not giving you what you need, so how can you give them what they need? You won't see yourself as a person who is resourced by God, etc. But if you are in sin and you are a mature person, and let me say that again, if you are mature but in sin, because that happens a lot to us, doesn't it? Right? I mean, we're mature, or at least we're maturing, but we still have sinful areas in our life. We still make mistakes. Again, TJ. But if you are mature, you recognize and you do this thing called repentance, uh, which literally means to think in a new way. You change yourself. You say, hey, I need to change, and then you embrace, uh, you embrace the change. Uh, there's a famous example where addiction is concerned. When you are addicted to something, alcohol, drugs, or what have you, you go to a meeting. You go to a 12-step program. Uh, you guys familiar with 12-step programs, whether you've been in one or not? I love the 12-step programs. Um, They're the most successful interchange uh, ministries uh, broadly uh, in in our country. Well, step number three is take a serious moral inventory. Take a look at yourself, buddy, is step number three. And figure out what's really going on in you and where you are in sin, where you are making mistakes. And then you have to admit those mistakes. That's a later step. You have to confess And then a a still later step is you have to make amends. You have to go back and apologize and make restoration to people that you have hurt due to your moral failures. That's a process of change. I love that. I love that. Maybe it's not, you know, doesn't have to be 12 steps, but there has to be steps of repentance and and growth. And if you're mature, you will have something like that in in your life. 12-step programs recognize that you have to grow into being responsible. You can't just snap your fingers. You have to take steps to get there. And mature people are always thinking, man, what do I have to do to grow as a person? Leadership. Let's take a look at maturity, immaturity, and leadership. If you are mature, you build people up. If you are immature, you break them down. You leave them confused. Uh, If you're not able to be responsible for you, then you can't be responsible for others very well. Right? We see this a lot with parents and kids. You know, the parent can't take care of themselves. What chance do the kids have? And so that family needs to be strengthened, needs to be matured. 
If you're leading people and you can't be responsible for yourself, then you will make those people vulnerable. You will lead them into fear or into disarray. Again, we see this a lot in families. If the parent is radically dysfunctional, the kids grow up afraid. They're always in a crisis. Um, community. Um, if you are immature, part of a community like this, or part of a larger ohana in any sense, then you will be a freeloader. By which I mean you will benefit from the community a little bit, but you won't really contribute to the community uh, very much. If you're mature, then you will be responsible for the maintenance of any community that you're a part of. In some fashion, you will contribute to the community pot. If you go to a potluck, you bring something. Um, that's the basic idea. Uh, that's how to be a mature member uh, of a community. Uh, immature people are often dissatisfied with their community. They'll, they'll complain about their family, they'll complain about their ohana, they'll complain about their church, even at Blue Water. I know it's hard to imagine, but some people complain uh, about our, our community. Uh, but they do nothing other than complain, and they often simply leave. Easier to leave than to actually contribute or to be part of the solution. Mature people, on the other hand, help maintain uh, the community and are also responsible for how they affect others. If they make someone feel bad, they take responsibility for it. And they try to be good for how they positively influence other people. They follow the golden rule. You know what the golden rule is? The golden rule is the definition of community maturity. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You do that, you're going to build up any community that you're part of. Period. No questions asked. A general life, I would say, uh, you know, if you're trying to gauge how you're doing, maturity versus immaturity, being responsible for yourself, not being responsible for yourself, then look for areas in which you have checked out or where you feel helpless. Think about that for a second. Is there some area of your life in which you have felt so helpless that you've just kind of checked out of it? You're not even engaging it anymore. You have put it on the shelf. Is it a hopeless economic situation? Is it a hopeless relational situation? A hopeless family situation? Anybody have anything like that? You don't have to shout it out, but you know, some area of your life where you're like, I'm just an invalid there. It's just not going to happen for me. Okay, well, if that's true to you, if that's true for you in some area of your life, then in that area, I suggest you're not taking responsibility for yourself. I'm not saying that you caused the problem. I'm saying that you're not taking responsibility for yourself in the problem. And Jesus would probably want you to take responsibility for yourself. So here are some rhythms of responsibility. We'll wrap up with this. This is a sermon series called Rhythms for Grown-Ups, right? Routines and rhythms that we can get into to help ourselves grow up or to be powerful in our maturity. So what are some rhythms, what are some routines that we can get into that help us to grow in our ability to take responsibility for ourselves? That was a long sentence, but did you follow me? These are things that we can, rhythms that we can get into that just help us be responsible for ourselves. Uh, and some of these might sound sort of general or simplistic, but 
they work for me. So I suggest them to you. Number one, put in a day's work. Put in a good day's work. This is one thing that I learned when I was a kid. I mentioned the passing of my father. There was nobody who worked harder than my dad. Um, and this was just, just, you know, ground into me uh, when I was very young. And I'm just so thankful for that. Maybe some of you learned lessons like this from, from your parents as well. You've got to be a hard-working guy. Um, put in a good day's work. I think work is, is sacred, you know? One of the first things God said to the human race was, all right, tend the garden. <laughs> I've given you paradise. Now take care of it. Um, there's something about work that is so empowering. There's something about not working that is incredibly disempowering, incredibly devastating to the soul. So you've got to put in a good day's work six days a week. doesn't have to be six days a week, but, you know, put in a good work week is what I'm saying. Now, some of you right now are thinking, but I can't find a job, <laughs> which is a barrier. In which case, put in a day's work looking for work, whatever that means for you, you know, whether it's getting out there and pounding the pavement or meeting people or going back to school or getting some training, but work at it. Work at work. You have to. You just have to. That's what grown-ups do. And it's kind of the nature of life in this world. So put in a good day's work. Um, I always feel better having put in a good day's work. And, and it almost doesn't matter what work I've done. You know, uh, my job is churchy. Uh, but sometimes I put a good day's work in, you know, doing, doing work in the yard or building something with my hands or something like that, which is more refreshing uh, for me. The variety is refreshing for me. If you put in a good day's work, you'll feel great. Uh, if you veg out too much, you'll feel terrible. Anyway, enough about that. Uh, number two, contribute uh, to the pot. Contribute to the pot weekly or monthly. And, and this gets back to the first question I asked you. Where do you eat? Figure out where you eat, where you're nourished, and contribute to that pot. You know, if you are nourished uh, in your family, then contribute to your family. You know what I mean by that, right? Contribute to the health, to the resourcing, to, to the fabric that makes family so great for us. If you are nourished at church, then contribute here. You know, in a regular sort of way. Not just, you know, once a year when there's a volunteer day, but figure out how to participate in the maintenance of whatever feeds you, whatever that is for you. So I asked you that question at the beginning so that this application point would make more sense to you. Maybe some ideas are popping into your head. Uh, number three, uh, repent. Repent. Repentance. Confession. Uh, try to get into a rhythm of confessing your sins or your failings at least once a month. Uh, confess it to someone uh, that, that you trust. In other words, say it out loud. Um, this does good stuff. does good stuff. It makes you feel real. It focuses your mind. Let me ask you a spiritual direction question. You know what spiritual direction is? Spiritual direction is when somebody speaks into your life and, and gives you direction on spiritual health. You bring material problems, they give you spiritual direction. Because as we grow spiritually, we're able to handle 
things that are material in, in nature. So here's a spiritual direction question. Where in life do you need to repent right now? Where in life do you need to repent right now? I ask that question from time to time when I'm counseling people, and I would say about 98.5% of the time, people immediately have an answer. If I say, where do you need to repent right now? Where do you need to change your thinking? Where do you need to change your attitude? Where do you need to change your behavior today? Almost all of you will immediately have something in your head. So that's a very provocative question. And then the only thing I would suggest is tell somebody. Tell somebody that you trust. If no other person, tell your Ohana group leader. If you're not in an Ohana group right now, get in one. If you're not in an Ohana group three months from now, repent. <laughs> Here's a freebie, and I'll just end with this. Just an observation. There's a big difference between self-obsession and taking responsibility for yourself. They are entirely different things, right? You know what I mean by self-obsession? Self-involvement, self-focus, you know? There are people, uh, uh, just, just, to, just to pick an example, who, uh, uh, in my life, who are like freaks about physical fitness. You know, they're obsessed about what they eat. They work out two hours a day. Um, they're just healthy beyond all reasonable boundaries. But they can't take responsibility for their lives. And what they're doing there is that they're self-obsessed but not self-responsible. Uh, and sometimes self-obsession can be an avoidance strategy. I will be so incredibly healthy that I won't even have to take care of these other things that I should be responsible for. Um, and I will, I will put it this way. The only way to get over yourself, the only way to ever become selfless is to take responsibility for yourself. You're responsibility for, if you're responsible for yourself, if you're in charge of your own healing, right, even though other people are going to help you, then and only then can you become a selfless lover of other people. Because you won't be an empty vacuum of need. <laughs> you will be a resource individuals with resources from God that then you get to invest wildly and faithfully. You'll never be free and selfless unless you learn to take responsibility for yourself. Food for thought. Let's pray. Get Ben and the guys back up here. Well, there's a meditation, Lord, for the beginning of a new year. In what ways do we need to take responsibility for ourselves? In what ways are we avoiding engaging the issue in life? In what way are we just allowing ourselves to be a burden on others instead of developing ourselves to be a blessing to others? In what way do we need to take responsibility for negatively affecting people? In what ways do we need to take responsibility for positively affecting people? Yes, Lord, we do want to get well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.